The theme of this week's retreat, and for some of you, two weeks, is equanimity or upeka, upeka in Pali. And it's good to get familiar with that term. It's very important. The understanding of upeka, of equanimity, is critical to the higher development of the path. There are various virtues and character uh, configurations which are important to the beginning of the path and the middle of the path, but equanimity is a mark of the higher aspects of the path the higher development of the mind and the emotional structure. This equanimity is not talked about so much, I think, in general, in Dhamma talks and meditation talks. Often they're focused on vipassana ideas, the watching of rising and passing away, or they're focused on the emotions specifically of metta, loving-kindness, or karuna, compassion. Both uh, mudita, which is sympathetic joy, and equanimity usually do not get star-billing. They're extremely important. Equanimity has a number of aspects to it, and I will cover them in the retreat. The two basics are there's equanimity in motion. That is equanimity, which is functioning every moment of the day in your day-to-day life. And then there's equanimity, which is a characteristic of very deep stillness. So equanimity cannot be separated from wisdom and it can't really be separated from deep cultivation of samadhi, the samatha practice, the stillness, concentration practices, because what you find is the in the deepest states of of samadhi, equanimity is the characteristic flavor. At the same time, in the conduct of uh, life, while you're dealing with people and situations and work, everything right into your dreams, there's another type of equanimity which is at the center of your practice, the center of your emotional structure. And this is continuously balancing you. So it's the gyroscope at the center of your system. It's what keeps you stable and balanced in the midst of the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of life. So it has a quality of stillness in motion, 
And at the same time, you can isolate that stillness and merge just into that. Those are very deep states of serenity, concentration. All of the conditions of the meditative stillness practices, the jhanas, have some degree of equanimity in them. Mostly you will see it featured when you read the texts texts and the commentaries, you'll see it featured in the deepest jhanas, the fourth jhana. But it really appears far before the fourth jhana. It appears even as you approach the first jhana, even as you, in with mindfulness, have overcome your psychic irritants, your hindrances, if you've overcome them and you are abiding in uh, the light and joy of the neighborhood of samadhi, you already have some equanimity there. There's already a sense of balance. Equanimity is also found in the enlightenment factors. It's the seventh factor of enlightenment. You see that it's at the end of the enlightenment factors and the fourth jhana, and it's a parami, what is called a perfection of character, which is developed. So it's an aspect of one's character. It's a feature of the enlightenment factors, and it's found in all through the samadhi states. Samadhi is the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path, and it is purified in the deepest states, the fourth jhana. So this is an incredibly important, exalted, and yet very practical uh, factor. And it's something that one should come to know, and throughout the retreat, you should understand how to practice it, and I will be talking again and again about what it is, but also ways to cultivate and develop it. So the this is a an ingredient in a recipe. And without this ingredient you cannot really be said to be wise. It's a characteristic of wisdom. The title I gave to this retreat was The Philosopher's Virtue. Equanimity is the philosopher's virtue. So it's not the, the awareness of the incredible value of this attitude and capacity is not just known to Buddhism. It is found in other schools of thought in various degrees. <clears throat> You see it featured and exalted in early philosophy. This word philosophy and philosopher 
is used widely as a very general application. My favorite philosophers are the ones that are contemporary with the Buddha that go way back in to the Greeks because they were actually trying to live out philosophy. And philosophy, uh, the word literally means love of wisdom. Sophie is wisdom, Sophia. And philosophy, Phil is the love of. So it's not just intellectual activity, it's not analytical capacity, which is kind of what modern uh, philosopher uh, philosophies are and often what philosophers are. I discovered when I went to university and took philosophy courses that my professors weren't necessarily what I thought of as philosophers. They, they were people who talked about these things or knew the history of it and so forth, but they didn't actually live it necessarily. So a philosopher is one who lives it and loves it and loves wisdom. And it, then we have to ask what wisdom is. For the Buddhist, wisdom is that which alleviates the problem of suffering, which uh, alleviates the negative aspects of the emotional dimension, but doesn't just leave you apathetic. And that's another word from the Greeks, apathy. It's got a bad reputation these days, apathy, because it's not understood. People didn't understand philosophers. If you want to know the root of the word apathy, think of pathetic. And ah being not pathetic. So apathy is a good thing. You're not pathetic. The person who has no equanimity is emotionally pathetic. (laughs) And if you have some equanimity, you're no longer pathetic. (laughs) You're apathetic. (laughs) You're not pathetic anymore. So apathy, people just don't understand what it meant. Apathy is like, I don't care. That's not what they meant. Apathy is really what we mean by equanimity and upeka, and it has not to do with not caring or not feeling. But in the popular understanding of psychology and so forth, we are mostly fed ideas that are amateurish, Uh, by people who are not particularly developed above the normal standard themselves. They are talking about strategies and therapies and so forth, but they're not speaking from a highly developed emotional structure. The Buddha and his disciples who practiced and followed the path and realized results from it are speaking from an above-normal emotional condition, which is a result of systematic training over 
various periods of time. Sometimes these things happen for certain people in a in a short period of time, some for in a middle period of time, and some uh, only after a long time. But the endeavor is more or less the understanding that there is no alternative. What is the alternative to training your mind? And your mind is not trained if it is anything less than your heart, your emotional structure. Your emotional structure is an aspect of mind. Mind is really, the intellectual aspect is only an aspect of the emotional center. So these are uh, a process which must be undertaken. Of course, we see there's only a little, there's a handful of people in this monastery. If this has to be undertaken, what is everybody else doing out there? They are not aware of the work that they must do. And... uh, So they will suffer, unfortunately. Anybody who doesn't train themselves, it doesn't happen by itself, and it's inevitable. If one does not cultivate these capacities, it's going to be painful. Equanimity is in short supply out there. You will see, of course, that All kinds of things are admired and exalted in general, and one of them is passion and high emotion and so forth. This is the disaster. Equanimity is not the absence of emotion. It's the presence of refined emotion. So it's the most refined of the emotions. It's the philosopher's emotion. It's the... It's the three-star Michelin restaurant, the gourmands, a favorite dish. So you need to develop a taste for this because it's such a delicious flavor. There are other things that are delicious, like metta, loving-kindness, is absolutely rich and delicious. But equanimity has a a flavor all its own and you can end up being a big fan of equanimity. Sometimes when I talk about loving kindness, I talk about it as the kind of uh, atmosphere at sea level on the coast where it's warm and moist and you get an abundant luxurious growth of flowers and trees and everything is lush and warm and wet very beautiful but then there are alpine meadows and the air at 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 feet is different in quality. It's very pure. It's cool. And what grows up there is exquisitely beautiful, but not as lush. 
And once you get up into those altitudes, you have a great view as well. You can see far into the distance. That is equanimity. The ocean level experience is loving kindness, the warmth and the richness and abundance. But the alpine meadows are rarefied and the view is fantastic far into the distance. Now these are not enemies. If you remember the Buddha and his family were the some of the wealthiest aristocrats in India at the time and they had three houses, three palaces, one for each of the seasons. So in the hot season, it's a good time to be in the higher elevations. Even in recent history, when the British went to India, they, they had uh, houses built into the foothills of the Himalayas, the high elevations for the hot season. It's a beautiful sp- space to spend the hot season. And there are certain, se- certain houses that are good for the rainy season, and then others for the cold season. So you can use these different emotional structures as different dwellings, depending on the situation. And why not have more than one house? You don't have to spend all your time down by the ocean. Some very beautiful places in the mountains as well. So these are... Uh, choices that you have, but if you don't develop these, the spectrum of emotions from loving kindness to equanimity, then you won't have those options. So equanimity is beautiful thing to feature at least for an entire week of cultivation and to bring it into the forefront of your consciousness and your awareness. And that's where it starts, but it has to go into your bones, has to be into the very center uh, when practiced enough. It should be effortless in the end. And you should feel, you will actually have the same feeling that's induced when you go into the higher elevations, the the cool, fine air of the mountains suggests something to most people. There's a kind of a natural response to it. It just feels like your head is clearing up. And that gives you a hint of what the emotional feeling is. It's a cooling. It's a very beautiful, cool, crystalline kind of emotion. And uh, you may find that you don't spend much or haven't spent much time in it. But as you progress in your meditation, you will spend more time in it and you will refer to it more. It's another word for wisdom. So equanimity is responsive in uh, the various ups and downs of life and you need to Pay attention to it. You will see how often you have lost it, forgotten it. 
Of course, that's the development of mindfulness is to keep an eye on whether it's present or not, whether you're losing it in certain situations. The practice of this is to develop some sort of stillness and silence before you explore the equanimity. So during this week, as we just settle down with our breath, this, by the way, is, uh, does not uh, bypass uh, the cultivation of breath meditation and reflective meditations. It involves a lot of reflection, and there are strategies and techniques for bringing this equanimity into full understanding. It's only when you understand it yourself directly, instead of being told, don't be so reactive, just be cool. Uh, That's nice uh, when somebody says that or advises, but if we don't understand it directly ourselves, if we do not see the great benefit of this, uh, we won't find our way to equanimity. <clears throat> or we'll have it temporarily and briefly. But if we catch a glimpse of it in the, in the retreat, if we start to feel it, uh, we just get a taste for it. And then you want to go back there again and again. And it becomes the, the new aspiration, and then the new, eventually it becomes the default setting. And it's incredibly valuable because there's so many possibilities in this life for difficult situations to arise in the external environment. Uh, We're going to do some chanting uh, tomorrow night for a number of people who've been to this retreat who are now dealing with one of the variables in life, the inevitable variables, and that is profound sickness. When this stuff happens, and it could happen to any of us at any time, equanimity will be the most valuable tool in our kit to deal with this. Now, it's not a just a grim... Defense, it's not just a defensive structure, it's a liberating experience. It's a freeing experience, which is beautiful and can be carried miraculously out when most people are responding with great fear and sadness. If you have practiced your equanimity, if you cultivated it, if you understand it, you will not be responding in those negative ways. And you will be somewhat astonished at your own response to things. It's a strange experience to have a negative, difficult situation and find yourself not reacting. And not only that, that you're in a kind of a state of ease and joy. And that's such a surprise that it starts to feed on itself that you have 
broken through. And that is also a confirmation of something. It's a confirmation of the teachings of the Buddha. And you know directly for yourself. So you feel, you're feeling, you're experiencing Dhamma directly without any need for any kind of faith or anything like that. You're having that experience. And it, it, it cycles back on itself, increases its own kind of security If it works in this situation, it could work in almost any situation. That's an incredible sense of freedom and empowerment. And that increases the tendency to want to develop it even more. So when we find it in just in small situations, it will have a tendency to go in that direction and strengthen itself and repeat itself. So I won't speak uh, <clears throat> too long tonight uh, because we have a, a full week to just uh, cultivate and marinate in this idea of equanimity. And hopefully, even during this week, that you will have the, the heartfelt experience of it as well. And that you will at least establish the aspiration to it and have a better understanding of it by the time the week is over. And hopefully you will actually carry some of this equanimity right back into your life when you leave. So I'll leave that for tonight.